Good morning. Well, this time of the year, people remember the life of Martin Luther King, who reminded America about racial equality. Someone who was able to stand up in a very difficult day, and how many know that's still a part of our life in America, but how many know church should be different? How many know the government can't force people to love one another? How many know that's what Jesus taught? The second great commandment was what? To love your neighbor as yourself. We live in a world today where there's still a lot of prejudice. Maybe you have felt it. And how many know it's not just prejudice towards minorities? I mean, prejudice goes in a lot of different directions for a lot of different reasons. But we believe here at Church on the Rock, one of our core values is that we believe the church should be a colorblind place. The church should be a place where we leave the differences in our culture and our lives at the door and we come together and worship Jesus because how many know we're all one in Christ? In our nation today, the church should be a place where Uh, White people can worship with Orientals and Hispanics and blacks that the color of our skin shouldn't be a dividing point, that our gender, whether we're male or female, shouldn't separate us. We live in a culture today that still has differences based on uh, our education, our economy, where we live, our, our social background. But how many know at the cross of Christ we all stand equal? The cross is the great equalizer of life. And uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it's a pretty amazing scripture. It says, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You're all children of God through faith. Verse 28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. That's the racial separation. There's no longer slave or free. That's the class barrier. There's no longer male or female, the gender, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Can you say that with me? You're all one in Christ Jesus. And uh, hopefully that you model that not only within the walls of the church, but in the community. Because how many know we carry Christ as we go. Like many of you, I was raised in the South. I was raised in rural Mississippi in an area so small it didn't even have a name to it. It actually was called Love Station. That's because the train used to stop there before I was born. And uh, I can tell you that was in the, uh, the 60s, and it was a pretty tough time racially. But guess what? How I many know our past doesn't determine who we are today? How I many know what determines who we are today is the basis of what Christ teaches us in the Bible and what He's done in our heart? And I hope that you'll be a bridge builder in in America today, not someone who allows the foster of of racism and other types of discrimination to continue. Hey, turn your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to continue a series with this guy called Nehemiah, shortest guy in the Bible, as I told you last week. Next Sunday, we're having a baptism weekend. Now, we'll baptize people any service, any time, but we're going to try to really encourage you next week, let it be a focal point. If you have not been baptized as a Christian or maybe you've come back to Christ and you'd like to start afresh with water baptism, we want to encourage you to give the office a call this week. We'll tell you all the details. Bring your family and have a great time of celebration next week. Now, this book of Nehemiah, we started a series called Rise Up. Can you say Rise Up? And it's a series about significance. It's a series about making a difference in your life. Something all of us share in common, whether we're young or old, is we want our life to matter. We want to feel like we have accomplished something in this life, that we have left something behind. But how many know when we think in those terms, we know it has to be something spiritual, a difference that we've made in a person's spiritual life with God. Well, there's that sense in all of us, and we're looking for a role model, and we're looking at a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a guy who came on the scene in in a tumultuous time in Israel's history. After some 700 years of warning, after Moses told the children of God, the children of Israel, that if they wandered away from God far enough and long enough, God would judge them. I mean, no, God's a loving God, but He's also a just God. And God did. God sent them into exile. The Babylonians came, the Assyrians came, and and they're winding up in a place called Persia 
Well, lo and behold, Nehemiah comes on the scene at this period of time. He is what's called the king's cupbearer. He's still a slave in a foreign land. He's just got a cushy job. And uh, lo and behold, he hears something about his homeland. He hears something about the city of God, Jerusalem. Uh, Its walls are broken down. There's no protection. The people are discouraged. And this affected this man deeply. And uh, let's read his story this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. He has an audience with the king. And to the king, Nehemiah says these words. If your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to Judah that I may rebuild it. In other words, I want to go there and do something about it. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just feel bad about it. I don't want to just pray about it. I want to do something. I want my life to make a difference. And then he's kind of gutsy. He asks again, he says, well, give me some letters to the governors. In other words, several hundred miles to travel. Give me some letters so that I'll be protected. And then verse 8, I'm going to need some provision. I'm going to need some wood, some lumber, some money. So he's, he keeps asking to the keeper of the king's forest, I want him to give me some timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and the wall of the city. And this next phrase is what we're going to focus on in this morning's message. And the king granted me what I asked for, and notice this next one, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Can you say that? For the good hand, good hand. of my God, my God was upon me. Upon now, it's, here we, we have a picture of a man that's a slave. How many know a slave in any, in any culture, whether you, are, whether you are like Nehemiah who had a good position or whether you're someone that labors in the fields, how many know you don't have rights like other people? It's very much a class society. You're on the lower end of the totem pole. And particularly in their day, if you asked the king of anything and the king didn't like you, it was just one word in your, your history. So it's a very gutsy thing he did. But I want to ask you this question this morning. Why would a king give up one of his trusted servants? Why would he give him time off? Why would he give him a police force or some type of protection? Why would he give him money? Why would he give him provision when he didn't have to do any of it? And the Bible is very clear. It's because God's hand was on his life. Yes. It was more than just his smarts, more than just his resources, more than just his charisma, his speaking ability, more than all the natural qualities he had. God's hand was on his life. And can I suggest to you, if you and I can, will allow God's hand to be on our life, we will make a difference in the lives of people, whether we're a student in a school, uh, whether we're in college, whether we're a business person, we labor for someone, whether we're on the mission field. But if God's hand, God's anointing, God's blessing is on our life, that, friend, is where this exponential release comes in our life. That's when there's a multiplier effect. That's when things happen that we couldn't, we couldn't make happen on our own because God's hand's on our life. And we want to explore Nehemiah, not just from history, but to see, did he do something that I might could imitate so God's hand might be on me? Was there something about Nehemiah that I can not just learn factually, but that I might be able to be like him, do like him, uh, imitate his life so my life might make a difference? Well, I'll suggest to you there is, and I'm going to share with you three things this morning from Nehemiah's life that caused God's favor. And the first one was the condition of his heart. I'll call it a heart after God. The things that mattered to God mattered to him. Now, that's big because oftentimes we let what matters to us matter to us and what God wants we kind of let go by. But the condition of his heart. The second thing, the content of his prayer. I mean, no, prayer is that connecting point between you and God, but prayer is not just saying, God, help the people over there. Somehow he aligned himself and he aligned the problem and he aligned the needs of the people of Jerusalem with God. And his prayer was key. That'll be one of the big things we learned this morning. But the third thing is he had the courage to act. And that's the big one. How many know it's a time to pray and then it's a time to do something? 
Well, sometimes praying, you've prayed enough, it's time to get out in the game. But the challenge is, am I willing to risk what I have to risk and make a sacrifice to do what God wants me to do? I think the word will challenge you today. I've entitled this, Make a Difference. And uh, let's read further now as we look in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll go back to verse 4. And this first ingredient of this favor, this blessing, was the condition of his heart. And here's what I want you to see. He had a heart after God. Now, this is something that is a little bit elusive. It's a little abstract. When we speak about the heart, we're not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood. We're talking about the place where our passions lie. We're talking about the place where our values and our attitudes, the place where, you know, what, what, what pushes us in our life. It's the real you that's inside. How many know this body is not the real us? That's why when you go to a funeral, a Christian funeral, when, when you say you're there, that's not the real person in that casket. Now, that's the way we knew them. That's the pictures that we have that we remember. But that's not the real them. The real them is a spirit. They live in that body. They have a soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And somehow in the Bible, the, the heart, the soul, is what the Bible speaks of. Is this, or, or the soul and the spirit is what the Bible speaks of as our heart. Well, notice Nehemiah's heart. Uh, verse 4, where this is where we were last week. Nehemiah had just heard about the condition of the Jews in Jerusalem. And as soon as he heard these words, notice, he sat down and what did he do? He wept and mourned. In other words, he saw something that moved him. He saw something that moved him to such a degree that then he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, fasting and praying, as we talked about last week in last week's message, fasting is simply a time of abstaining from food or pleasure to draw nearer to God. It's somehow saying no to yourself to make a step closer to God. But what I want you to see this morning was his heart. And his heart moved him. It made him, it made him, him, him weep. He saw something that I'll suggest to you most of the time that I hear things and you hear things and we see things, we just pass on by. We turn the radio up just a little bit louder. Uh, my daughter, she loves animals. And uh, we've got a little dog and a cat. And, and one of the TV shows that we like to watch, for some reason they put the, 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 the uh, commercial in it. We've got the animals and the dog pound, you know, and they're the most pitiful-looking things you've ever seen. And when it comes on, Rebecca says, No, no, change the channel, change the channel. Because her little heart is touched by God. You know, it's like she's got a tender part in her towards these little animals, you know, that are helpless and that are hurting. And, of course, every person has a puppy wants to give Rebecca one. And don't you dare do it because she came home yesterday and she's saying that she wanted to bring a puppy home and her mother's screaming in the background, no, we're not. But she loves animals. It moves her. Children move, Rebecca. Now, my, my daughter's 11. She's a very un unusual little girl. She's, the, she's kind of the, the, the princess of the house now, and she has me wrapped around her little finger. Uh, other kids resent it. I kind of like it. She's the last one. But, but she loves kids. And right now, we have three weekend services, and, of course, preacher's daughter, you know, she's hanging out. But she goes to her class one time, and then two services, she's teaching children. Now, she teaches three-year-olds, and I don't say she's just in there giving them marshmallows. She's the teacher. I mean, she's got an adult that's, you know, supervising and watching over things, but, but she's the one. And I said, honey, how many kids do you, uh, do you have? How many of you praying that will be there tomorrow? And she said, well, Dad, I've had 20-something before, but I, I think I can handle 25. Now, now can you imagine 25 three-year-olds? She has a heart. Well, well, what do you have a heart for? What, what moves you when, when you see something? Because... I can't be moved by everything. I can't be moved by every mission's plea. I can't be moved by every need that comes before me. I can't be moved by every person. But something has to grip me. 
Uh, it, it could be a child that you see that you know is in a, a troubled family situation. It could be a single mom that you see. Uh, it, it could be a multitude of things. It may be one missionary. I mean, I have a great burden for our friends in Haiti, poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. Jay's going to be with us the first weekend of February. Uh, they're trying to build a church after that huge earthquake that they had. I have a burden for him. I mean, if I had the money today, I'd write the check to help them finish it out. I mean, and I prayed about it yesterday. I love other missionaries. I care about people, but my heart is pulled towards certain things. And here's what I want you to see. Your heart can be pulled towards something too, just like Nehemiah's heart was. And here's what I'd suggest to you, and, and perhaps I can, can give you a, an analogy. If you want a place in Texarkana that I think will, will do more for helping you realize the needs in our community, go down State Line Avenue and just before the post office, you remember when the old Church of Christ is there? It's vacant. Now, it's been vacant for a number of years until they bush hog it. Weeds are growing up everywhere. Park your car in that parking lot. Look across that parking lot. Look at the liquor store over there and look at the nightclub. The beer cans, there'll be a homeless person there on some occasions. If maybe you and I just paused like Nehemiah did, because before he cried and wept, the Scripture says he sat down. And I'm going to suggest to you that we just usually drive faster. But if you might just take an opportunity when something in some way just grips you a little bit. I've, I've spent many times, and I just go and I'll sit in that parking lot for 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and I'll just look and kind of reflect. And then I realize of the pain. Now, there was a time when my uh, trunk was filled with beer. I mean, it's been a long time ago. It wasn't last weekend, okay? There, there, there was a time when I would be going in there, but waking up the next morning, come on, with a headache and just wondering what happened and wishing I hadn't have done it, but going back the next day because that was, are you with me? So yeah. don't look so holy out there this morning. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of pain in those places. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of heartache. And if you want something to touch your heart, sit in the parking lot of an abandoned church and think about how the church has neglected people, how the church has abandoned people, how most churches today are just surviving. Come on. How we come to retreat from the world that's in great and tremendous need. And I would encourage you, if you want to have a heart, that's the first thing Nehemiah had. I can't make myself weep. Now, I can watch a movie. I shared with you that, that movie Secretariat the other day, and I'm a crier. I cried when that horse was coming around that final bend. I was a crying when that old horse was just going for it. But that's a movie. Somehow, real life needs to grip me. And I can't be moved by everything, but I hope you will slow down for something. And possibly the next thing that you have your heart to be touched, if you would just slow down just a little bit and maybe let a burden begin to grow in your heart that could well be from God. That's the first ingredient of favor is a heart that is, uh, uh, that is in condition of our heart is, is concerned about what God's concerned about. Now, let's look at the next one. I want you to look at verse 5, the second ingredient of favor, the content of his prayer. Let me say this. It matters how you pray. If you're sitting in that parking lot, the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, God, help that homeless person. Oh, God, you know, help that person not drink so much. Let me suggest to you that there's a better way to pray. And when we look at Nehemiah, maybe we can learn something to help us when we're praying so that God might use us. And I'm going to use the word alignment. This prayer aligns a man that was in position with God in heaven and the need in the middle, but it was also reconciling the need, seeing the need in context with God, how their own sins and problems had got them there, and he was making an alignment. Now, now let's listen to his prayer. Look at verse 5. Uh, uh, Nehemiah said, O Lord God of heaven, notice his first phrase. This is how he prayed. Lord God, or God Almighty, the great and awesome God. 
who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, he's going with somewhere with that because it's because they've broken the commandments. Sin came in and sin brought the judgment. But I want you to think of his starting place. Look at that first phrase, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God. Now, let me tell you, when you are addressing God, you're not, you're not praying to your bud. You're not praying to someone who's a, an equal. You're not praying to someone who, you know, who, who can't do anything about it. You're praying to God Almighty. You're praying to the one to whom one day you're going to stand and give an account of your life. But you're also praying to the one who can do something about any impossible situation. Listen, if you think, give any serious thought at all to the condition of debt in the world today, it seems like it is impossible to solve the crises, not just in America, but in the, uh, around the world and in Europe. And God only knows what will unfold. Can I tell you, God knows how to turn the mess around. Yep. And God does not need our treasury secretary. Come on, God does not need just a new administration in Washington. God himself can somehow turn this mess around. When you're praying to the God of heaven, God Almighty, you're praying to the one who created the heavens, and the Bible says he slung the stars from his fingertips. Now think about this. This week I read an article where an astronomer said that there are billions of stars in our Milky Way galaxy. Billion with a B. And then it said there are billions of galaxies... And the Bible says God just slung all those things out from existence. I was coming home from Dallas Thursday night, and we were coming down Highway 67, and this moon so caught us as we were coming towards Maud down that long bridge of the, you know, 67, and, 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 and on this side of Maud, and I said, Lynn, now get the phone. You've got to take a picture of that. I mean, this moon is huge. It's orange, and the top of it is missing, and we're scratching our heads trying to figure out, okay, so this is the sun shining on the moon. Does that mean that the sun is above the earth or below the earth, or how's all that happening? God did that. God created the earth and put it on such an axis though that if it just moved by a degree or so, we'd burn up or we'd freeze. God is the one that causes the sun, come on, not to burn out and lose. That's the one you're praying to. You're praying to the one who designed the human DNA, the genetic code that makes all of us the same and all of us different. You are not a monkey. You are not a dog. You're not some uh, half gorilla, half this. You're a human being, but yet you are different from every other human being on the face of the planet. In case you've not looked around this morning, you are different than anyone in this room. Your fingerprints are different. Your retinal scan is different. And yet tens of thousands of people are being born every day and every one of them is popping out different, 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 different. God is the one that does that. See, that's the one you're praying for. But the Bible says, which simply means to me, God can do anything. So if you're a slave looking at the needs of Jerusalem wondering, what can I do? I don't have any money. I'm not in power. I am a slave. But God can. Come on, God can turn things around. God can repair things that are broken. So that's the one that I pray to. But then it says he is a covenant-keeping God, which simply is a way of saying that God... Listen, a covenant's like a contract. A contract, though, is negotiated between two people. God's covenant is not negotiable with us. God basically is the one that makes the rules. We submit to them or we reject them. But God says, if you will live by my commandments, I'll bless you. If you won't, you'll be in big trouble. And this is leading us to the reason that Israel is in trouble. They have sinned against God. God is a loving God, but he is a just God. And because he is just, there's consequences for their behavior. And that's why the next part of this prayer comes into place. Verse 6, hear the prayer, your servant, that I now pray before you day and night. Have you ever prayed for anything day and night? 
the prayer that I'm praying day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Now, this is interesting. Four times in two sentences, he's going to say the same thing. Anytime the Bible repeats itself multiple times, I want to listen. Notice his first portion of his prayer after he had rightly positioned himself towards God. I confess the sins of the people of Israel. And then he says it again, which we have sinned against you. Sins are breaking God's commandments, rebelling, going my own way, doing my own thing. The one I sin against is not just people, but it's God. The third time, he says, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. The fourth time, and have not kept your commandments. So what Nehemiah is saying is he's looking at the problem and he's saying our sin caused the problem that we're in. And could I suggest to you, whatever your burden may be in this great world, likely there is a root of sin that's behind it. If you're sitting in that parking lot downtown and you're looking across that liquor store, might we ask God, come on, to forgive us for creating an America where people can become drunkards and drug addicts. Come on, could we ask God to forgive us for making these things so readily available, for having a, a Supreme Court that allows us to promote these things with as much as they want to? Could we also ask God to forgive the sin of laziness? Because some people that are homeless are unwilling to work. Some are willing to work and they've got a problem, but some are lazy. Could we also sit in that parking lot and, and look back at that vacant church as a symbol, not their specific problem, the, the owners of that church, but the church at large. And could we ask God to forgive us because we have not cared for the broken and needy people of this world, for the people that are bound by some form of addiction, come on, from families that are being destroyed and all of what's in their wake. Could it be that the confession of sin is the starting place of aligning ourselves in prayer to God to make what's been broken repaired and make the crooked straight? I believe it is. But his prayer didn't stop there. Look at verse 8. And now he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. So here's a guy that's praying and he's looking back 800 years in time when God through Moses made this prophecy or this prediction or this promise. He said, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. In other words, that's why Israel was in the mess they're in because God judged them and scattered them throughout the world and brought them into exile. But here's the promise. Look at verse 9. If you return to me, this is the word repentance. If you turn your back to me and keep my commandments, God's promise is I'll gather them and I'll bring them to the place that I have chosen. So let me suggest this to you. When you are someone out to make a difference, God always has a plan and a purpose for what you're supposed to do. There's a promise that you need to lay hold of. It could be a promise in the Bible as you're reading. It could be a prophecy. It could be a dream. But somehow God is a great communicator to you. Somehow God reveals himself to you. Years ago, God began to speak to Dana O'Neill. Dana, wave at everybody over there. Dana's an educator by profession. Has her master's degree. And she and her husband got hooked up with Haiti. And they started going down to Haiti. They heard something inside them. And then before you know it, they have a school down there in their mother church. A couple, 300 students that are down there now. One of the the greatest schools in the nation of Haiti, Dana helped them get accredited. But, but, but that wouldn't have happened, see, because those Haitians go back and forth to America, to Florida, those that have money and wealth, and, and their whole ministry has been changed because she heard something from God, come on, and that motivated her to get on an airplane, to leave her children, to leave her husband, and go down and invest herself because she heard something from God. And can I tell you, that is the same way we need to live. That's how we make a difference. 
you don't just make a difference by becoming a preacher. You are a preacher. You are a preacher by definition is a communicator of the gospel. And you're a communicator just like she's a communicator. And you hear God touch you. Something about that nation turned the heart of, of her and her husband towards those people that were there. And they have aligned themselves with the people that say, that's the way we're supposed to live our life. That's how you make a difference. And the starting place, my friend, is seeing the God of heaven who he is. Acknowledging the sinfulness of the people come on and what we've done wrong. And then hearing God's voice of what we're supposed to do. And that compels us to pray and go forwards. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this this morning but now the third ingredient mind you the first one was the condition of my heart the second was the content of my prayer the way that i pray and here's the third one of the ingredient of favor god's hand is on us so our lives will matter it's the courage to act how many know there's a time to pray but there's no time to do something two of the men that i have the greatest respect for that are changing a nation not just trying to build a church but changing a nation Brother Jay Threadgill and Larry Myers in Mexico, they both have said this independently of me, and here's what they've said. When I asked them about how, how, uh, how they're doing such you know, a great ministry in these nations, they say, I pray like it all depends on God, and I work like it all depends on me. You know, rather than having a bird with one wing, come on, working, 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 or praying, praying, praying. How many know it's prayer and work? Come on, you've got to get out and do something. It's a time to pray, and it's a time to act. Now, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. Now, he says, Lord, hear my prayer. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Which simply is a way of saying, I'm about to go and talk to this king because I don't have the money. Come on, I don't control my schedule. I don't have the ability. But this man does, and I want you to cause this man to give me favor so I can go and do what you've called me to do. Now, how many know God has the power to do that? Now, before we talk about the action that he took, we're going to talk about risk and sacrifice. I want you to look at this last phrase. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Now, what does that mean? I was the guy. Now, mind you, he's a slave. But his job was to, was to taste the food before the king would taste it to make sure that it tasted good, but more importantly, so that he wouldn't be poisoned in some fashion. So he's got a pretty cushy job. Would you agree with that? But let me say this to you. He was not the king's cupbearer by accident. And here's what I want you to see a moment as we look in the scripture. Nehemiah was where he was because God had placed him there. And could I suggest to you, you are where you are because God has placed you, come on, in this world, in this time, in this point of history. Let me tell you why I say that. Acts 17, 26. God began by making one person, Adam, and from Adam came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. But notice this next phrase. God decided exactly when and where they must live. God decided when and where you must live. God put Martin Luther King with his voice in America in the 60s. God put Nehemiah in the world. I was born 19, uh, April 24th, 1957 in a hospital, Memphis, Tennessee, Methodist South Hospital. My parents were white. Um, we were living in this small area, rural area in Mississippi. Can I tell you, none of that was an accident. And this is where we leave the world. 
Because the world would have you believe that your life has no purpose, that there is no ultimate meaning to your life, that you're just the product of somebody having sex, and you're just here, and you're an accident. Therefore, you can do whatever you want to without consequence because there's nothing that's over everything. Listen, my friends, God is behind everything. God chose, listen, God is the one that chose whether you'd be a, a, a man or a woman. When you listen to the craziness over gender confusion today, how in the world? I can't understand how a young child that thinks it's a boy would want to be a girl or a girl that would want to be a boy. But here's what's worse. A society that says, oh, it's okay because you can decide who you're going to be. It's, it, but it, it, God is the one that made us the way we are. God put us in society, and God inserted you in space and time. Now think about this. God gave you, listen, God gave you the abilities that you have. Some people, listen, are expert carpenters. I, I, listen, I can barely nail two boards together. I mean, I can make a pretty good duck blind in a tree, but, but I, I can't do any kind of finished carpentry work. Uh, some people are excellent at different things. Some people are great athletes. Someone can't even know, doesn't even know what hand to pick the ball up with. God gave us abilities. God gave us a code. See, your parents didn't decide that you were going to be six foot five. Come on. Your parents didn't decide that you were going to be a, a muscular 240 and your name was Tim Tebow. Can I tell you, God decided that. And I know he had a bad game last night, but can you think just a minute about last week? Now, here's a guy, he's in, his, he's in his early 20s, that God made into an athlete, and he's accepted who he is. The doctors said he should have been aborted before he was born, but here this kid comes out, he's a homeschooler, he wins all these great accolades. Well, do you realize last week, this is a kid who's dedicated to Christ, dedicated to making a difference, and under his eyelash, uh, under his eyelids, he puts John 3.16. Now, forget last night. Last night was a shambles. How many know when he gets on one knee, he's not asking God to win the game? He's thanking God for what God has done. He's recognizing, come on, the one who was and is and is to come. But last week, he's got John 3.16. Do you realize after his performance, John 3.16 was the most searched term on the Internet in the entire world? Do you realize he preached... He preached to more people last weekend than all the preachers in America combined. I mean, he is preaching just because he's written something under here. Now, uh, now he, he wrote it. On, but do you realize last weekend he passed for 316 yards, 316 yards. Do you realize he averaged 31.6 yards per throw? And do you realize, according to Nielsen's ratings, in the last 15 minutes of that ball game, 31.6% of America was watching that ball game. 90 million people. 90 million people was watching this Christian guy point his finger to heaven and say, look at this, it's all about him. Now, what is my, what is my point? God put him in history, and you can choose if you have the ability to be a Tom Brady or a Tim Tebow. Now, I'm not knocking Tom. I'm sure he's a great guy. I don't know anything about his religion, but I can tell you the world knows that Tim Tebow is a Christian and he's making a difference with what God has given him. Now, he woke up this morning, and I guarantee when he woke up, he was thinking, where is the Bengay and I need the hot tub? Come on. And I'm going to make my way back to church. Tom Brady woke up. He's got three Super Bowl rings. He's married to a supermodel. Come on, don't think about that too much. But, but, and here Tim Tebow... Single guy, a virgin, because he's a Christian. Come on. Which one would you rather be? Would you rather wake and forget last night's loss? I would still rather wake up with last night's loss, come on, being this guy than this guy. Because I guarantee you, when they bury you, those three Super Bowl rings will not be in the coffin with you, and you're not taking them with you. Somebody's going to get those things. Somebody's going to marry your supermodel wife, come on, and somebody's going to take your money. 
But if you live for Christ, what you do will last for eternity. So make a difference with your life. Find something that burdens you, that burdens the heart of God, because God weeps over America. He weeps over the world. He weeps over the troubles of people. And He's looking for someone that will sit down long enough to let Him give them a burden. Come on, give them a burden and show them a way to make a difference. Tell your neighbor, it could be you. Come on now, give the Lord a a good hand this morning. Let me me wrap up now. Nehemiah chapter 2. Again, this third point, the reason for his favor was, was, was not just his heart, not just his prayer, but his courage to act. Now, let's close with this. Verse 4, chapter 2. The king said to me, what are you requesting? So, a slave is talking to a king. The same period of time, you remember when Esther talked to the king? She said, hey, look, if he doesn't like what I'm about to do, she's the queen too, by the way. He, he, the, the rules of the Persians are that he can have me killed if he just does that. So here the slave is talking to the king, and the king says, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I mean, no, not a bad idea to pray when you're talking to somebody when there's potential problems. I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to Judah that I may rebuild it. Now, I want you to get this picture. He can't do anything. He doesn't have enough money. He doesn't have the freedom to do it. This man has it, but he's got the guts to ask. He's a slave. He has no rights, but he's willing to take the risk, and he's willing to pay the sacrifice. It could cost his life. It could cost him everything. It's costing him a cushy job, but he was willing two words, risk and sacrifice. I'm going to tell you this, friend. You will never do anything with your life that matters for God if you're not willing to take a risk. And it may not be, a, you know, it may not be the, 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 the risk that Nehemiah did. We took someone in our home. Take, we've taken several people in our home over the years. One time we took somebody in our home, and uh, they had some real troubles. We'd sleep at night. We'd lock our doors and have our young child, children in the house, with, in, the, in the bedroom with us. He wasn't an axe murderer, but, I mean, it was some potential problems. We brought him in our home because we felt God told us to do it. Sometimes what you do for God, there may be a risk. It may cost you money. It may cost you time. It may cost you reputation. It may cost you dreams. Most people don't make a difference in their life. Listen, for three, one of three reasons. I think it's because, number one, we're so selfish, we don't pause long enough to look and see what God sees. That's my big problem. But here's another one. We're, a, we're, we're, we're afraid to take the risk because we don't know if we're willing to make the sacrifice and I want to encourage you if God is pulling you do it don't hold back if God is calling you at the right time after you've prayed alignment take the step have the courage and take the risk I'm going to close and tell you about a hero in our church that's lived this her name's Penny Hiller Penny if you don't know her um, she's a missionary right now she's been doing it about 10 years but you may not know this i'll tell you her story you'll see her there what she's doing is she teaches people how uh, teaches people english using bible-based materials now think about this the whole world wants english but most of the world doesn't want jesus so they can't get bibles in but penny will teach him how to speak english and they don't care if it just happens to be the story of the scripture or john three sixteen, or moses or john the baptist now let me tell you how penny's journey started Penny came to our church in the early 90s. She'd gone through a very painful divorce. 
And uh, she was just trying to put her life back together. And she did. She was loved in the church. We try to be a church that loves everybody, no matter what's happened in your life, because everybody's got problems, and it starts with me. But she came to our church, and she was loved, and all of a sudden she began to get healed after a period of time. And then she began searching for God's plan for her life. God, what do you want me to do? We would go on missions trips, and we would build churches in poor countries. And uh, Penny would go to, and I promise you, she could not drive a nail. And uh, she wasn't real thrilled about just the little Sunday school lesson with the kids, but the mission field was drawing her. And after a while, now mind you, she's a professional educator. She has a master's degree. She's a teacher. She's in education. After a while, she felt she ran across this, this, this group, this ministry that was using English and it was developing materials to train people. Wherever they are, they go to different countries around the world. And she began to be drawn to it. And she started doing that after a while. Well, lo and behold, about the year 2000, she clearly heard God's will. She's praying all along. She's doing what she knows to do. But God began to speak to her very clearly that she was supposed to stop, quit her job here in America and go on the field full time. Now, listen, she was not wealthy. No one was promised to support her, but she believed it was God. She went in and talked to her high school principal. Would you think about this? And she, and, and she told the principal she was not renewing her contract. And she told her why. And here's what the principal said. Penny... You're moving from success to significance. Well, that was the year 2000. She told me yesterday that she has trained people in 52 nations of the world. 52. There's a, what is it, 260 nations or something in the world, somewhere in there. I could, I could not even name you 50 nations of the world right now. Come on. But Penny has either gone there or people have come to her or she's trained people that have gone there. That gal is literally taking the gospel around the world in a veil of English using Bible-based curriculums. And listen, when you see her, you need to give her a big hug and tell her you are proud of her. Come on, give her a big hand right now. Penny Hiller making a difference with her life. And I suggest to you, you don't just have to go to the mission field to do that. How many know Texarkana is a mission field? The needs are all around us. But Martin Luther King, listen, Nehemiah and Penny all had something in common. They saw something that grabbed their heart. Martin Luther King's was racism. Nehemiah's was the trouble of the Jewish people. Penny was an illiterate people around the world that couldn't advance because they didn't know God, they didn't know Christ, and they didn't know how to speak English. Something pulled them in. They felt the burden. They began to pray about it. And then when God opened the door, they all took a risk and acted. And I want to encourage you, friends, let that be your lesson today from the Word of God. If you want to be in the best position you can for the favor of God, let God work on the condition of your heart. Give Him the right to make you into the person He wants you to be. Secondly, pray on a, a prayer of alignment because the content of your prayer, it matters. You're praying to God Almighty. You're recognizing the sin that caused the trouble. And you're finding the promise of the Word of God that solves this problem. And the last thing, friend, the courage to take a risk. At the right time, you step out. And how many know the rest is up to God? Come on, give Him a big hand. He's worthy of all of our praise. Well, let's close in prayer this morning. If you're here, simply, you know, the neat time about January is there's just a few weeks here, and they're going to slip away before you know it, when we're willing in a greater measure to establish some new routines, to make some changes in our life. And I can't think of a better way to make a change is to say, Lord, I want to give you my life afresh. 
And I want you to use me to make a difference in this world. I want you to give me your burden that I can give my life to. And uh, if you'd like to do that, and join me in prayer simply by saying, Lord, I want to give you my life. I'm willing to make a difference. Would you just stand to your feet right where you are and just join in prayer? You're just telling God by standing, I am willing to make a difference with my life. I want you to do with me what you want to. As you're standing, just kind of put your hands out as a way of just like offering them to the Lord, the gift of your life. And would you just bow your heads a moment? Now, I can say some words, but it's only you that can connect with God heart to heart. So as best you know how today, could you just say, simply say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Not for salvation, but I give you my life for service. I give you my life asking you to make a difference. I ask you, Lord, to speak to me in some way and that I would stop and slow down and sit to listen and hear and that I might do whatever you've called me to do in the short life that I have. Would you just, anything you want to say to God right now? Would you just say, Lord, take me. I believe the Holy Spirit's telling me that a lot of us here feel like our past has disqualified us. Can I tell you this? The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. It doesn't say that all things are good, but God can work them together for good. Can I tell you that you're not the chiefest sinner? Paul the Apostle said he was because he persecuted the church of Christ before his conversion. So would you just lay aside the devil's voice when the devil tells you you're not worthy and you can't do anything for God because of what you've done in the past? Would you just, by faith, just receive right now a fresh start from God and a brand new agenda, a brand new starting place? We just welcome you today, God, and give you our life in Jesus' name. I want to have one more prayer before we go. The way we close all of our services is, once again, our prayer team gathers in the front. We'll pray with you about anything. If you need to talk to someone, someone will be here. But we sing a chorus through one time, and then you're free to go. But let me ask you this question. Kind of give me eyeball to eyeball just a second, if you'll give me just another minute. This whole message has been about doing something for God, about making a difference for your life. We might call it a good work. Can I tell you this? Your good works won't get you to heaven. You cannot do enough good things to earn a path to heaven. See, the reason is because sin has separated us from God. And how many sins does it take to make a person a sinner? I don't care how nice you are and how good you are and how good Grandma said you were. I'm telling you, friend, one sin keeps you out of the presence of God. And that's what that cross is about. That cross is, reminds us that God offers forgiveness for my sins. And being a Christian is not just thinking differently. It's not just going in a new church. It's not just a fast. It's not just baptism. It is a personal relationship with God. It is asking God to forgive your sins, to wash them away. And it is receiving His gift of salvation and giving Him your life and turning to follow Him. I tell you, friends, it sounds easy talking about it, but I want to tell you, my life changed. My life changed as a teenager, several months. I, I went to church because mom forced me to. But let me know, going to church does not make you a Christian. But something began to happen. I began to feel drawn to God, and I didn't understand it. God made me aware of things. My, I, I, uh, my life, it was missing. I was not happy. I was not fulfilled. I was doing all the right things and had the stuff, but something was missing in my life. What was missing, there was a God-shaped hole, and Christ filled that hole in my life when I surrendered my life to Him. And maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, that's what I need in my life. I need a relationship with God. I need His forgiveness. I need the confidence of eternal life. And I want to give my life to Christ. And I want to do it today. If that's you this morning and you say, Pastor, pray for me. 
I want to give my life to Christ. I want your prayers. Lift your hand real quickly. We'd like to pray for you this morning. God bless you. Come on, give my hand. God bless you. And God bless you. Somebody else. Pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. God bless you, sir. And God bless you, too. Somebody else. I want to give my life to Christ. God bless you, buddy. And God bless you, dear. And God bless you. Someone else today. Pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. I want to put my life in God's hands. Listen, our prayer team is coming right now. You that lifted your hands, come on up. Let us pray for you. Come on, give him one more hand. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you. Some are making a first step to Christ. Others are renewing commitment to Christ. You're getting right with God now. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Whether you lifted your hand or not, you want to make a step to Christ, come on up. I might have somebody pray for you right now. Listen, we're going to close right now. We're going to just sing a song. Our prayer team is coming. If you want prayer for anything, you come. Let us pray for you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. It was great this weekend. You bring somebody with you, and we'll see you Wednesday night.